You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. You can take your seats and please turn in your Bibles to the last page of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. It's page 1042 in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. And we have arrived at the last section of the entire Bible. You know, as I think about all of the responsibilities that you had getting here this morning, health is important, isn't it? In fact, there might be some of you watching online right now that you're not able to join us because you don't have the level of health that you need to be able to get here and participate. Health is extremely important for us to be able to perform the functions that are required of us. And when I was growing up, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to health. Didn't really plan for it. I could eat whatever I wanted. I could do a few push-ups, sit-ups, or run around the neighborhood and appear to be healthy and actually be quite a bit healthy. But the older that I've gotten, the more that I realize health is complicated. Health requires planning. We, we know that health is helped by eating right. But yet even that is complicated, isn't it? I mean, and this is rhetorical, by the way. I'm not asking for your feedback, but should we eat red meat or not red meat? Don't answer. Should we drink milk? And should that milk only be directly from the cows? Or should we milk almonds or oats or even should that be called milk and you can see that nutrition becomes complicated and it becomes frustrating too doesn't it I mean this whole sugar thing that I was brought up watching Willy Wonka and this is paradise enjoy candy and then you realize wait a minute candy bad or maybe is it added sugars bad and natural wait natural it's it's frustrating and then there's the whole workout thing. Should we do cardio? Should we walk? Should we run? Should we do free weights? Should we do heavy weights, light weights, reps? And that's complicated and frustrating. I mean, I've heard people say that getting a good night's sleep is a contributor to health. But, man, what about jobs and kids and marriage and the world around us? So even if we can navigate through all of these complications and frustrations and get to a place where we begin to understand the pathway to health, we actually have to move from the classroom to actually planning and action, don't we? And so for 31 Sundays, we have been studying about nutrition. We've been studying about exercise. We've been studying about how do we get to a place where we are healthy enough to do what God says his people should do, and that is conquer and endure no matter what is happening in our life, no matter what is happening in the world around you. We've been spending 31 Sundays investigating that. And I've enjoyed hearing the feedback from you, some of it positive, people saying, well, I never knew that we could understand Revelation, and now it's clear. 
I've heard other feedback that you have studied Revelation in the past, maybe not to this depth or this level, and my conclusions have frustrated you because they're different than traditions or denominations or book series or pastors that you love and respect. And then there's others of you that about, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks in, we're just like, all right, I'm going to keep coming because I'm supposed to and this is my church, but I'm just waiting till you tell me what I should believe at the end. Whatever your journey has been through our study of Revelation, we arrive at the last section and must ask the same question we've been asking for 21 plus chapters, and that is not what do you think we should do about this, what do I think the point of this text is, but instead what does the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John intend for us to take away from this section? And you can see the big idea in your notes. As I've studied this, as I've prayed, as I've connected the dots with the four guardrails of biblical interpretation, I believe this is the point of Revelation 22, 6 through 21. The training session is over. Now, we must conquer and endure motivated by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read the text for us, and then we will study it together. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 6, the apostle John writes for one last time. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy. Then the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without a price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. 
He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Here I believe the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, unpacks a four-step plan for us so that we can better understand how we apply the book of Revelation so we can conquer and endure being motivated by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number one, stay focused on God. Stay focused on God. The opening phrase of verse 6, I think, is intentional. It says, he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Would you go back to chapter 21 and verse 5 and look for those words? It says there, write this down, for these words are, look at the text, trustworthy and true. I think the opening line of Revelation 22.6 is the signal to the audience that John is tying up the book. That the bookend of the description of the New Jerusalem is complete, and now he's moving into application. He's moving into instruction. He's moving into commands from an officer so that we can conquer and endure. And the focus that is given in verse 6 is on, look at it, the Lord, the God. You see that in the text. The focus of the beginning of the instruction of these marching orders is on God, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. Focus is important. Growing up as an athlete, I had many activities where a trainer or a coach or a parent would begin us as athletes with a stretching exercise. So before we could do the activity, before we participated in the game, it was important to stretch. And at 49, I still find these stretches relatively easy to do. The windmill, I, I like this one. Don't do it with me at your seat, you'll hit somebody. But man, 49? Not bad. I, the one pulling across the chest, uh, thankfully not a fat guy in a little coat. Still can do it. Still can do it. And then this one, I had just—I was able to do it in first service, but the, the spread and the reach. Not bad, huh? <laughs> ah, not bad. Ah, but the one that got me then as it did now was <laughs> this one, there's a ledge here. But somebody taught me something. And I do this now and look what happens. I stay focused. I think that illustration is valuable for us with not just this passage, but the entire Bible. Because there are a lot of distractions in our lives that tempt us to fall off balance. Man, relationships can be challenging, can't they? Especially when you're a tween or you're a teen. Best friends can turn into enemies within a day. Boyfriends that you thought for sure you would marry are attracted to somebody else after Valentine's Day. Income versus expenses. Managers, bosses, teachers, finals, exams, papers, 
on and on. Then just pay attention to the news around us. And there are a lot of winds of influence in our lives that tend or tempt us to get derailed and knocked off balance. And I think John, through Revelation and with what the angel said, is intending to remind us that the plan for us to conquer and endure begins by focusing our attention on God. But here's the question, beloved. Many people in our country say they are focused on God through religion. Some of you might even be here today. It's more important to ask, not are you focused on God, but are you focused on the right God? In fact, look at how this plays out in Revelation 22, verse 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things from the angel who was sent by God, who came from the throne room, who was sharing the very words of God, communicating God, God, God. And so John is focused on God, but he's slightly off balance. Look at verse 8. He falls down to worship the angel. Do you see that in the text? He's identifying this messenger is from God. He's, he's focused, it seems, on the right thing, but he's just off. And what he does is he worships the angel. That's a problem. And in fact, the angel responds and says, no, 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 don't do that. So how can you tell, beloved, if you are focused on the right God? The answer is given to us in the text. Look at verse 9, the last phrase. Worship God. That's how you can tell. You want to know if you're executing the plan of being able to conquer and endure no matter what is happening in your life or what may happen in your life. You, you worship God. But I want to give you four instructions that I think flow out of this text to evaluate even that in your life to see if it's the right worship of the right God. Number one, worship values God as he reveals himself as most valuable. Worship values God as he reveals himself most valuable. Not the God of your design, not the God of your expectations, not the God who simply sticks on the ledger side of forgiveness and mercy, but the God as he's revealed in scripture. In fact, I was just reading this morning as Moses recounted what happened in the wilderness with Mount Sinai, and Moses describes God's presence, listen to this, in these terms, darkness, dark clouds, Thunder, so that the people of Israel could not even approach the mountain lest they be killed. I don't know about you, but when I pray to God before a meal or before I go to bed at night, I'm not usually thinking of God in these terms. I'm usually thinking of God as forgiving God, as merciful God. But listen, God defines himself. And when we can read passages like this about God, when we can read that God judges and that he's wrathful and that there is reason for us to recognize his transcendence and that he's not like us, when we begin to see that God and value him above the God of our own construction, now we're in the lane of worship, the right worship of the right God. And that God has been on display throughout Revelation, hasn't he? Number two. Worship motivates us to align our understanding with his. I want to draw your attention to verse 7. Would you look at verse 7? He says, I am coming soon. Don't we want to know when soon is? 
I mean, we want to get to the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, and we want him to somehow unpack. Okay, I've been keeping you in the dark, but now I'm going to tell you in 2037, I'm coming. We want that, don't we? But his ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so when we struggle and there's a tension, the problem is usually it's always with us. I'll I'll share with you what I think that phrase means in just a moment. But the right worship of the right God motivates us to align our understanding with his. Number three, worship exposes us to see who we truly are. Look at the response of this angel, this magnificent divine being. This angel in response to John bowing before him says, you must not do that because what does it say in the text? Would you look at the text for me so you can actually see how the English translates this. I am a fellow what? Servant, but listen to this. In the original language, it translates the word Doulos, which is slave, that puts ourselves in the right mindset to see us as we are. Because I don't know about you, if you watch Downton Abbey, some of those, some of those servants were pretty sophisticated and educated. The fact is, we are slaves. We are galley slaves. That is who we are. And when we begin to see ourselves for who God says we are, it puts us in a position to be giving right worship to the right God. Number four, worship expresses itself in the application of God's instruction. It manifests itself in obedience. Look at verse 7. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at verse 9. The one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. See, when we are in a disposition of those first three evidences of true worship of the true God, then we see obedience. Listen to this. Not as duty, but as privilege. We see it as, of course, I want to do this because I see you, God, for who you are. I'm aligning my understanding with yours. I see myself as you see me. And so, wow, that the God of the universe would condescend to even look upon me. Of course, I want to obey you. See, when we get to this place in our focus of God, then we are in a disposition of right worship of the right God. So the beginning of the plan right here in these verses is John saying, stay focused on the God, listen to this, of Genesis to Revelation. Not the pickpocket God. Not the helicopter God. Not the Star Trek beam me up God. Choosing and picking attributes of God and passages that we like and fit our needs. Stay focused on God. Number two, stay feasting on the word. I'm going to skip verse 10 for just a moment, focusing on 11, and then we'll come back, hopefully, with better understanding of the significance of verse 10. Verse 11 is an interesting one. There are four commands in this verse. Literally, it says... The evildoer, listen to this, must do evil. The filthy must be filthy. The righteous must do right. The holy must 
Be holy, which let's focus on that last phrase for this time so we can better understand what John is doing. I've shared with you so many times that this book, the 66 books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and on and on are a complete story written in different eras by different authors about different topics and characters and and seasons of redemptive history. But listen, it all comes together to be one complete story. So like any great story, there are themes that connect the characters, themes that connect the scenes, themes that pull the story to completion. And one of the greatest themes in this amazing story, would you write this down, is holiness. It's holiness. Two of the books that often derail our Bible reading programs are Leviticus and Numbers. Leviticus, the book with all the details about sacrifices and killing animals and guts and blood and blood. And then all of the details of commands about the the, the uniform of the priests and how the priests were supposed to conduct themselves. And some of you are getting bored even right now. And then there's the book of Numbers, and there's these long lists of tribes and chiefs of the tribes. And then there are details that get repeated. Almost There's this one chapter in Numbers that is 80-some verses that is essentially the same thing over and over with just different names. And you read books like that, and you read chapters like that, and phrases and sentences and paragraphs like that. And it's so easy to just get derailed. But if you focus on those two books, what the recurring theme is, listen, it's holiness. 218 times that word occurs in those two books. And I would submit to you that that is the theme, one of the primary themes in all of Scripture. The word holiness means to be unique or set apart or distinct. Can can I show you something awesome? that I found in Numbers 33. The team will put it up on the screen. You ever wonder with the 10 plagues of Egypt, why those 10 plagues? Why hail? Why darkness? Why locusts? Why why frogs? Well, Moses helps us. Numbers 33, verse 4, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. That's not a throwaway sentence. That's not something we can't comprehend. See, I think what Moses is helping us with is the same thing he'll do in Deuteronomy 32.8. And that is that the nations have these divine beings that we refer to as gods that are powerful, that are basically overseeing them. They are conducting the events of those nations. And so what God was doing through the 10 plagues is taking these divine beings of Egypt that the Egyptians worshiped and showing that he is holy God. You ever wonder in the Old Testament why God refers to himself as God Almighty? Isn't that inherent with just him being God? You ever wonder why the Old Testament says he's the God above all gods? This is not throwaway. What he's saying is there are these massively powerful divine beings that are moving the nations, that the nations have been given to as their inheritance. 
But God is unique. God is holy. God is above all. He is holy. The Hebrew term is Kadesh. And his people, listen to this, are also supposed to be Kadesh. Unique, distinct, set apart. Now how we do that is begun to be seen in Genesis 1. We are supposed to exercise his rule and his dominion over the entire earth, Genesis 1.28, so that we function according to his law and we train others to do that and we uphold that in the way we think and we speak and we live, but we also do it by protecting our own lives, protecting those over whom we have responsibility by making sure nothing unclean enters and that we ourselves are clean, and that's Genesis 2.15 as well as Revelation 21, 27. See, God always intends his people to be Kadesh, just like him. Isn't that Leviticus 19, 2? Be Kadesh, for I am Kadesh. Be holy, for I am holy. It's always supposed to be set apart. I was just reading in Deuteronomy 4 this morning. That's the whole point of the story. Moses says, I gave you all of these details about creation to show the patterns of Kadesh God over and over and over again so that you are drawn to him, so that you worship him, so that in doing so, you yourself are set apart so that the nations will see you are my people. Kadesh. So how do the people of God know what is clean and unclean? How do we know what his rule is? Well, now... Let's go back to Revelation 22. And now we're primed to be able to understand what John is saying here. How do the holy know what is holy? How do the righteous know what is right? God's word. That's it. It's God's word. And that's where the commands come in. Why does he give four commands, two for each category? Because of this. Listen to this, beloved. The citizens of the kingdom of God will authenticate their, authenticate their citizenship by their patterns of doing right and being holy. The citizens of God's kingdom will authenticate their citizenship by the patterns of doing right and being holy. But listen to this, the opposite is true, isn't it? The citizens of the world will demonstrate the authenticity of their citizenship by demonstrating patterns of the opposite of right, the opposite of God's standard. That's what evil is, isn't it? They will demonstrate that they exalt self over God, that they consume their own lusts, that they fulfill their own lusts. That's what filthy is. And so what John is saying through these four commands is, listen, demonstrate by the patterns of your life who you truly are. And how do we know? Verse 10. Look at verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the book of this prophecy. Do you see that in the text? Look at it, please. Because I think he is actually pointing specifically back to Daniel 12, 4 and 9. In Daniel 12, 4 and 9, Daniel is given similar visions, isn't he? Daniel 7 is very similar to Revelation 13. And there in Daniel 12, 4 and 9, Daniel is told, take all of this that God has revealed about his plan and how he's going to bring it all together and seal it up. Isn't that interesting? 
You do not need to concentrate on all of the details that I have unpacked here. Stay focused on Yahweh. Stay focused on the Mosaic covenant. There will be a time, Daniel 12, 4 and 9 says, that is at the end when this will be opened and we're there. Chapter 5 of Revelation, the lamb is worthy to what? To open the scroll and break what? The seals. So the content that was revealed to Daniel has been marinating. Has been in an incubator. And now, through Christ, it is open. And when it's open, it's intended to be studied, understood, and applied. Oh, friends, the ones who are holy because of Christ, be holy. The ones who have submitted to him, do right. Because by the patterns of your life, they will authenticate your citizenship and the standard and the measure and the way that you can tell what that is and if you're doing it is feasting on the word of God. Stay focused on God, stay feasting on the word. Number three, stay fixed on the lamb. Stay fixed on the lamb. Oh, wow, 12 through 20, Jesus is central. Behold, verse 12, I am coming soon. And I'm bringing my recompense. That, that's a difficult word for us. We don't usually use that word in the English. It means I'm bringing my reward. I'm bringing my payment. And he's going to dole out the payment. Look at what it says. According to what? According to what you've done. Now, this has been misunderstood through the years because it seems like this is work salvation. Okay, so if I give tithes and offerings, if I go to church, if I serve in kids' ministry, well, he's going to give me a reward based on that. That's not what that says because that's not what holds up with the rest of Scripture, is it? He gives the reward of the crown of life for his citizens and he gives eternal judgment for those who have rebelled and that is demonstrated and authenticated by the patterns of your life and what you've done. And Jesus knows you cannot deceive him. God is not mocked. Verse 13, he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last and of course it moves the spirit. Look at what it says in verse 17. To say, come. Do you see it in the text? And there's a reason why the word spirit is capitalized in an S because this is referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like bubbling up inside of him. He's like, come. Why? Let me give you some passages. You can look at this later. John 14, 15 through 31. This is Jesus introducing to the disciples that it's important for Jesus to leave so that the comforter, the helper can come. Then you can write down John 16, verses 4 through 15. Really home in on verse 14. And it tells us in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit's primary purpose, his primary mission, listen to this, is to glorify Christ. Let me just pause right here. I know y'all come from different church backgrounds because we've only been in existence for 13 years. Some of you might have come from church backgrounds that emphasize the Holy Spirit more than we do. I want to say to you and say to us that anything we say in our lives is caused or influenced by the Holy Spirit has an important litmus test. 
then that litmus test is, does it glorify and exalt Christ? Isn't that awesome? And we can have fun. We can have coffee and say, okay, was the dream where God spoke to you? Was the experience that you had where tongues were spoken? If you saw somebody give a prophetic word in your life, we, we, can, we can have fun talking about whether or not that holds up under a theological evaluation of the New Testament. Well, we do know this, that if it is the Holy Spirit, he is moving with the primary goal of exalting the Christ of Scripture. And so when the Christ of Scripture is put on display and he's saying, I'm coming soon, Holy Spirit is like, yes, come. And so is the bride. Look what it says in verse 17. And the bride says, come. Which, by the way, who is the bride? Don't answer that. I'll answer it. The bride is believers from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I know you've got some strong, uh, you know, foundation if you go to Ephesians 5 and you say, well, no, look, Jesus gave his life for the, the, the church and, and that's the bride. But I think theologically from Genesis to Revelation and from looking at the book of Revelation, I think you have to lean over to the, the, the side that says the bride is all believers of all time. Let me give you just some chapters where you can plumb the depths of this in Revelation. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7. Chapter 14. Oh, and then specifically chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The bride of Christ is from every tribe, tongue, nation. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, female, slave nor free. The bride of Christ is all who have put their faith and dependence on his completed work, looking forward from the Old Testament, looking at while he was here on earth, and looking back to his atoning death and his victorious resurrection as followers of Christ. And so all of the believers of all generations hear this about Christ and say, come, but then he gives a little bit more description, doesn't he here? He says, the ones who hear. How can you tell if you're part of the bride of Christ? Are you hearing? And listen, this is not a, a, a Greek term that is simply an awareness of sound. It is a Greek term that moves past that. It, it is a term that means that you're listening intently. See, some of you might not be doing that right now. Some of you might be aware that there's sound coming from up here, but are you listening intently, intentionally, with the expectation and plan of understanding and applying and obeying? That's the here that we read here. It's the same concept as the Hebrew term Shema. Hear, O Israel. Don't just be listening for the sound. The Lord your God is one God. And as you hear this, as you understand this, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So how can you tell if you're part of the bride of Christ? The patterns of your life demonstrate you are hearers. But then look at what it says in verse 17. To the one who is thirsty, look at what it says. It doesn't say the one who is thirsty say come. It says the one who is thirsty actually come. Do you see that in the text? So this is still leaving the door open for somebody listening to this and you here today or watching online. Are you thirsty for Christ? Are you thirsty to surrender to him as your king? Are you thirsty for forgiveness of sins, not by your definition or having one foot in or one foot out, but be completely dependent on his completed work? Because if you're thirsty, the text says, come and take the water that is free. That's my invitation to you. 
Oh, Jesus is central to all of this. Oh, and look at this. He's also the one that can take our dark robes stained by the blood of our own sin and he can wash them clean. But, but would you focus in on verse 16? I, I think this is fascinating and it, it might help you because next week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize all of this. And I'm going to explain to you my, my journey of how I went from seeing Revelation as literal to seeing it how I've presented it over these last now 32 Sundays. But until then, let me put a down payment on that from verse 16. Look at what it says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. What are the these things? The entire book of Revelation. But listen to this. As we've studied this, you know it's not limited to these 22 chapters, is it? Because we have been drawing from Daniel. We've been drawing from Ezekiel. We've been drawing from Genesis. We've been drawing from Exodus. And we could go on and on and on. So that these things primary, primarily are the book of Revelation, but also the all of Scripture. And he says, I'm testifying to these things for the churches, for the seven churches of chapters 2 and 3, but also every subsequent church that will read and study this throughout the generations until Christ returns again. And, and this is the purpose. This is is the reason what follows. And this phrase, along with so many others that I've highlighted over the last 32 Sundays, is why I've moved from this being a book that literally describes locust demons coming out from the pit, that literally describes only seven years where three and a half are bad, three and a half are really bad, literally describes literal water turning into literal blood, literally describes two human witnesses that CNN or whatever newscast is in play in those days will have a daily allotment of what the witnesses are doing that moves past the beast and the prophet being individuals, one being an antichrist. I move past all of that to say, I don't think that's the point of Revelation. Because of words and phrases like this, Jesus says, this is the purpose. I am the root and the descendant of David. Do you see that in the text? You can write out to the side there, Isaiah 11.1. 1. 2 Samuel 7, 14. And then he says, the bright morning star, this is a reference to Numbers 24, 17. See, the purpose of the testifying of the revelation of Jesus Christ from chapter 1 to chapter 22 and everything in between have been for the purpose of understanding God's plan for redemptive history and understanding the Lamb. And it has stretched us in seeing the biblical Jesus will. And that's why I think 18 and 19 exist in Revelation 22. I warn the one who adds to this and the one who takes away. See, that's what we are tempted to do when we see biblical Jesus, when we see God on display, when we see his commands. We, we want to look for loopholes, don't we? We want to make God feel more comfortable. The fact is, is that I, this last week I was um, sleepless. I, I was just thinking through some things. I was thinking about Meg in college and Mallory graduating from high school and thinking about our daughter Macy who's about to get her driver's permit. Come Lord Jesus. Just kidding. I was thinking about some conversations that I had with my wife and 15 minutes turned into 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. So I thought, ah, oh, come on, Jeff, you've got to get to sleep and stay healthy. 
And so I thought, think of something that's meaningless. So I started rehashing the Super Bowl. <laughs> Remembering specific plays and how if the, the ball would have bounced just a little different, the whole game would have changed. And thinking about the blocked point after and then the low 57-yarder and then thinking about Mahomes. And, man, you know, Purdy seems like a strong Christian Mahomes. I don't know. Where's God's favor? And then I'm thinking, oh, Jeff, don't get theological. Just think about meaningless. And, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a parade that just happened. And look at all of those people. Oh, man, there's a tragedy. Why did that happen? And before you know it, 15, 20, 30. So then I had gotten this far in the text, and I was thinking, okay, no, 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 you got to fix on Jesus. So I'll just be honest with you. I started picturing the, the Jesus from Chosen. And I'm like, oh, I love that Jesus. He, he's relatable. Human. Yeah, but does he really look Jewish? I wonder if he plays football with the other disciples when they're in between shoots. 15, 20, 30. And then I started actually thinking about this. Fixing my eyes on the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus who spoke this world into existence. That Colossians 1 says, by whom and for him and through whom all things exist and are sustained by Jesus. That he's the head of the church. That he lived this life. That he died on the cross. That he rose from the grave. I wonder what he and Moses and Elijah were talking about and how it all fit together. I think that was probably the, the best biblical theology class that's ever happened. And I started having a peace that passes all understanding. That my robe is white, not because of anything I've done, but because of his blood. And before you know it, I was waking up the next day with a thought that occurred to me. Come, Lord Jesus. You see, friends, when we fix our eyes on the Jesus of Scripture, we are drawn to him. We are stretched but it should move us to a place where we long for his return greater than any other offering this world has to offer. And you know what he says? Look, verse 21, surely I am coming soon. When is the soon? Don't we want it to be some date on the calendar so we can be prepared? It's intentionally not that. Yes, he will come on a literal day in a literal moment in time, but the symbolism here is intended to teach theological truth rather than give us literal detail. And the theological truth is this. Listen to this, beloved. That in the plan of redemptive history, in the story that is unfolded from Genesis to Revelation, there have been major redemptive events, haven't there? Creation, fall, flood, nations, 4,000 years. When you begin to see that, you begin to understand what he's coming soon means, and that is there's no more major redemptive events to take place except him coming back to separate the sheep and judge the goats. Come, Lord Jesus. But there's one more verse, isn't there? You see, we stay focused on God. We stay feasting on the word. We stay fixed on Jesus, number four. We stay functioning in grace. We stay functioning in grace. Verse 21 is so easy for us to just skip. 
Because we see phrases like this in the other epistles. It seems like this is just the common, like yours truly or sincerely at the end of a letter. But look at it. It says the grace. The word grace means undeserved, unmerited favor. Would you turn over to Philippians 1? It'll be up on the screen if you don't want to turn there. And I think this word is intentionally provided by the apostles and also John here at the end of this amazing book. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says this. For it has been granted. The word granted is the Greek term charisma. Now, why do I share that with you? Because you can hear maybe in that charis. Charis is the word grace. It means to be grace gifted or given by grace. And the first part of the response of granted grace gift makes sense to us. For it has been grace gifted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should believe in him. We get that, don't we? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, charis, you have been saved through faith. We love that. But Paul has something else to say. But it's also God's grace gift for you to suffer for his sake. I hope this illustration moves us back to Revelation 22 and causes us to see the word grace never the same again. Grace beckons the tension of the gospel. That the God that we submit to is a God of love, yes, and also a God of judgment. That he's a God of grace and also wrath. We've seen this throughout Revelation, haven't we? How does he put up with the world system that counterfeits the beautiful creation that he made? But he does. How does he continue to extend the offer of forgiveness to rebels who live only for ourselves? But he does. How does God offer salvation and yet promise that at the end he is going to pour out his unbridled wrath on the wicked, not just for their moment in this space in history, but for eternity? That is the tension of the gospel that has been the book of Revelation. And that's why I think John ends by saying the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's both ends. And it gives us the opportunity in this moment to see him clearly. That's what Revelation 1.1 says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. To see him, to love him, to share him, and to long for him. Come, Lord Jesus.